morning. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. We'll be in the first uh, 16 verses John chapter 11 today. Start at verse 1. I'll just read it and then we'll, uh, we'll dig in. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment, wiped his feet with her hair. His brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. And Jesus, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. And I pray, Lord, now that your Holy Spirit would fill our hearts in this time. That we would understand your word, Lord, that we would see the deep, deep love that you have for us uh, that's spoken of right here in your word. That your Holy Spirit would help us to understand, Lord, your purpose in suffering and in death. And help us to see the bigger picture, Lord, of our resurrection and the future to come and the kingdom to come. Your great love that you have for us, Lord. And your great glory, Lord Jesus, in it all. So fill this place now, Lord. Fill our hearts with your spirit right now. I pray, Lord. Help us to see, help us to understand, and help, to, help us to be comforted and have peace and, and just feel your presence, Lord, in the depths of our souls in this time. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage before us today is about love in the face of suffering and death for the glory of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. It's about love. It's about suffering. It's about death and the glory of God. That is what this text is about. Love lets Lazarus suffer and die. Because his suffering and death will help them all to see, and help us to see the glory of God. See that in verse 4. 
Thousands of people in the world die each day. And Jesus reigns from eternity to eternity. In all his sovereignty, in all his wisdom, in all his goodness, he is able to control and to explain and to set right your losses. Numbers might not move us very much, but a mom, a dad, a son, a daughter who has died or lost moves us. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall from the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Matthew chapter 10. So from the tiniest, littlest, insignificant sparrow to the hairs on your head, God rules in his majesty universally, and he even pays close attention to your hair care. God counts each one of your hairs. He knows the number of mine are decreasing even as I preach this sermon. Look back on the old pictures, like, wow, I had a lot more hair back then. We worship a God like that. He's counted every one of them. Just think about that for a like, Kids, you know, your moms take care of your hair. They brush your hair. They don't know your hair as good as God does. God's got them all counted. That's the kind of God we worship. So let me set, set the stage here. I'm going to dig into John chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. And I want to draw out something that you may not have ever seen in these verses. I have read this passage hundreds of times in my life, and I, I never really focused on this first section of it like I have in the last week. And these verses have been life-changing for me. Mary and Martha and Lazarus are very good friends of Jesus, and you'll see that as we read it again. Lazarus is very sick, and Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus, come, the one who you love is sick. Actually, they only just say the one who you love is sick, but you can feel them saying, come, please come, Jesus, the one who you love is sick. And as I read these verses, one through six, I want you to look for, for death, and I want you to look for love, and I want you to look for glory. And then ask yourself, how do all of these relate to each other? Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. There's the word love. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness it does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. So that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, or therefore, 
When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What? Now we got to dig into that. I mean, on the surface, you read that and you're like, okay, that's strange. Let's focus on verses one and two for just a moment. The striking thing about verse two is that it hasn't happened yet in the gospel of John. And that's odd. Look at verse two. Mary is going to anoint the Lord with her hair in John chapter 12, verse three. And John says to the reader, to us here, that this Mary, this is the Mary that's who's asking him to come. And that's the Mary who anointed Jesus. He hasn't told us she did it yet. But that's the one he's talking about. Now, now what is the point of that? Well, that's the first instance in this text of how Jesus is going to draw out the endearing, special, sweet and deep and precious relationship between Jesus and this particular family. John is reaching forward to get the remarkable moment in the life of this woman who's going to love Jesus like that. And he mentions her in a way, in that way right here. There is a very deep love between Jesus and this family, and especially Mary. See that in verse 2. And then in verse 3, so the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, this is the second instance of drawing out the fact that Jesus loves this family. And now John is mentioning Lazarus in particular. This man loves this family, and Jesus is underlining it right here. He loves them, and he makes it explicit. This isn't a casual acquaintance saying, come, or he's sick, or please heal him, someone who's just approached him, a stranger. This is someone that we need to understand Jesus has a deep emotional love for in a way that's different and remarkable from the other interactions in the scriptures. He is sick, they say. And I thought it was interesting. Notice they don't tell him what to do, just like Pastor Rob was saying as he read the psalm. They don't tell Jesus what to do. Haven't we seen in many other occasions in the Gospels, my son is sick, go and heal him. Do this, Jesus. Do that, Jesus. People telling him what to do. They don't tell him what to do. They're just fully trusting that he's going to take care of this somehow. They just, he, he needs to know that Lazarus is ill. I thought that was very interesting. Look at verse four. When Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. So, the first thing Jesus does is connect the news of Lazarus's sickness with the glory of God. Now, not many people think this way. I know by nature, I certainly don't. And we need to think this way. He put it in relationship to the glory of God. It is about the glory of God. 
It's about the glory of the Son of God who's going to be glorified through this illness. You can almost hear him saying, take a deep breath, Mary and Martha. This is all about my glory. This is not going to go the way you think it will go. And it's not going to go the way you want it to go. But it's about my glory. Just let that sink in for a minute. Because we are very much like Mary and Martha. God, do this. God, do that. God, fix this. God, make this right. God is working for his glory always in all of our sufferings. We need to think that way. We need to understand that way. Maybe start asking some different questions like, God, how are you going to be glorified in this suffering trial? Help me to see your glory, Lord Jesus, in this suffering and trial because it hurts deep. My heart is groaning. This illness does not lead to death, Jesus says. The point of this illness is not death. It is the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. It's like the blind man in chapter 9, if you remember him. The disciples say to Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned that this man, this man or his parents that he was born blind? And remember what Jesus said? What did he say? It wasn't that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. All these years of blindness are about my glory. And the same is true with Lazarus. Lazarus is going to die, and Jesus knows he is going to die. And he's going to let him die intentionally and it's all about his glory wow that that is a really hard thing to understand so let's dig deeper verse five now jesus loved martha and her sister and lazarus now this is the third time in the text that he references Jesus's love for this family. Jesus loved Mary. Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus loved Martha. So when I say it's all about glory, I'm overstating it a bit, am I not? Because it's really not all about glory. It's largely about love. And that's what hit me like a Mack truck in this text. This is about the fact that Jesus loved them, but he let Lazarus suffer and die. And that's what is so striking to me. And, you know, I, I, I've read this text hundreds of times, and I just kind of glossed over this part. Because I wanted to get to the part where, hey, Lazarus is rising from the dead. Lazarus, come forth, you know, and it's, uh, he comes out. And that's the part I've always looked at really closely and, like, that's amazing, and I love that, and that is the victory of Jesus. But before that moment comes, this moment has to be experienced. The suffering, the death, the heartache, the pain had to be experienced first. 
And so surely John the writer is writing this to help us come to terms in our experience with what the love of God looks like for you and for me. What is it like to be loved by Jesus? Because Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. Love is not a minor theme here in these six verses. It's a major theme. Three times he's saying he loved them, he loved them, he loved them. He doesn't want you to miss that. He wants you to put yourself in that situation the best you possibly can. I've been told since I was a little boy that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. You know that song, right? Hope you do. It's a great song. That's a very comforting song. It's actually in the hymn book. <laughs> it has a couple different verses, too. Sing that when you're crying out to God in the valley of the shadow of death. And just take rest in it. Jesus loves me. I've always known that since I was a little boy. Now, I don't always feel loved like that a lot of times. And these texts, this one in particular is in the Bible to help turn our world upside down when it comes to understanding the love of Jesus. Because the world and most of us in this room don't get this or, have a re or we have a really hard time understanding this kind of love. The world has no categories for understanding this kind of love that we are about to see. But you should. Because apart from the Holy Spirit, this text is incomprehensible, and you will look at it as just stupid and unexplainable and senseless nonsense apart from the Holy Spirit of God helping you to see. Now, the most stunning word in the text is the first word of verse 6. Verse 5 just highlighted for us. The love Jesus has for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And then verse 6 begins with the word so, or therefore. As a result and consequences of that great love. Now, some of your translations may not have that word in there. It's there in the Greek. If your translation doesn't have that word in there, check out another translation. Because <laughs> it's there in the Greek. Verse 6. So, therefore. When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, that, that is not an accident. Jesus knew what this delay would mean, and he knew exactly what was going to happen. If you look down to verse 14, Jesus told his disciples plainly, Lazarus has died. So he's choosing intentionally not to rush and get there and do anything about that. He waits. Jesus makes sure that Lazarus is dead for four days. 
Now, if it were only a day or two, perhaps someone could say, oh, Lazarus swooned or fell asleep or was misdiagnosed. He wasn't really dead. He's just kind of still alive and trapped in there. But that's, that's not the case here. It cannot be so with four whole days, not in the tomb, not wrapped up, not smelling. He's really dead. And that was the plan. It's amazing. Now, as you read this today, as we quickly read things like this today, you might think, well, it's not really so bad because Jesus also knows he's going to raise him from the dead. And, you know, it's really easy for us to just quickly read on to the rest of the passage. Oh, look at that. Jesus raised him from the dead. Hooray. It's really not that bad. It's not that hard. If that's coming into your mind as you read this text, as it came into my mind all of these years of reading this text, then let me tell you two things that came to me in response as I prepared for this message. First, Lazarus really died. And I've known many people in my family and friends that have died over the past two years or are dying right now. Death is real. I have a cousin who died from a brain tumor in his 30s, left behind his wife and a young child. I have an aunt and uncle and cousins that all died from various illnesses within the last two years, all reasonably young people, all gone too soon. All earlier in life than it seems they should have gone. And a friend, Rick Muse, my age, died from a brain tumor not long ago. As life goes on and these things start to play out, you know, it kind of hits closer, doesn't it? It's like, ooh, it could be me. I went to his funeral and I, I could put my picture and all the pictures scrolling through on that screen and I'm just crying my eyes out of that place. Like that, that could be me. All the same places my family had on Williamsburg and all these places. I'm like, oh my God, that could be me. My friends, Steve and Debbie Meredith died from heart attack and cancer. My age, very healthy. What was that all about? Why God? Why them? My son, Benjamin, has girlfriend, Lauren, you've seen her here. Her father passed away from a brain tumor last night. Last night. She's 14. He was 52. Death is all around me, and it's all around you. Any one of you could come up here and tell similar stories. Death is all around us. I have buried more people in my ministry than I have married. Counted that up yesterday. I was working through this. Wow, that's amazing. Death is not pretty. It is not pretty for the one dying. It is not pretty for those who love them. And there are a lot of people here, just like me, you're thinking about death. 
R.C. Sproul once said, I don't fear death, I just fear dying. And I really get that. I, I get that. Be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord, right? To live is Christ, to die is gain. I am not afraid of dying or of death, but I mean, that dying process. Whoa. Ed Ray laid in that bed for two months fighting cancer. That's, that's horrible. Now, if you think back to what Lazarus went through, back to our text, there was no hospice care back then. Lazarus died. He really died, and his sister suffered that. Lazarus suffered that. And that's the first thing to keep in mind as we read through this. And they didn't even know he was going to be raised. Jesus didn't show up. That's what they knew. Jesus didn't show up. And Lazarus died, and he's buried, and we loved him, and he was too young. He's gone too soon. That's what they knew. Now, here's the second thing to think about. It seems that John, in writing chapter 11, is intentionally inviting us to see our own resurrection in relationship to Lazarus. Our death and our resurrection as parallel to Lazarus. Now, why do I think that? If you look down to verses 23 through 26, which we'll get to in more detail next week, Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. So when he gets there, he gives them hope that Lazarus is going to rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So you see the connection? Jesus could have said, yes, and isn't that wonderful news? That's not what he said. Look what Jesus said, 1125. I am the resurrection and the life. That resurrection, Martha, that you're looking forward to has come into the world. That power, that control, that life-giving force is me, Jesus Christ, he's saying. I'm here, and let's show you right now what that's going to be like. Because I want you, Martha, and all of you to see the connection between Lazarus' experience and what you will experience. So he continues, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? In other words... My raising your brother from the dead will be what will happen to you, Martha, which means that the way you think about Lazarus' death is a forerunner, a little preview of our death and our resurrection. So now as you step back then and think about Lazarus dying and Jesus not going and letting him die because he loved him, you shouldn't whitewash that or diminish that or minimize that by saying, oh, he's going to raise him four days later. Because he's going to raise you, too. And the difference between your death and the resurrection and Lazarus' death and rising four days later are, are virtually the same, except yours is a lot better, church. You don't have to go through it twice. <laughs> Poor Lazarus. He had to die twice. Poor guy. 
So if you're going to minimize Lazarus' experience, you better minimize your own. Saying, oh, it's no big deal to die. I'm going to rise in four days anyway. I mean, more or less. And you, you just don't do that. I mean, we as people, we don't minimize our own death experience, especially when you're face to face with it. You don't. You don't do that. You don't minimize your suffering and death. You don't minimize your loved one's suffering and death. You take that very seriously. You groan. You grieve. You ache. You cry out, how long, oh Lord? And that's the way we should feel this moment in this text. So let's look again at the logic of verses 5 and 6. Because this is the main point I want you to feel this morning. It really turns our world upside down. We see that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And therefore, so that because of that love, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That's what we have to understand. How is that love? How? How can a loving and good God allow suffering and death like that? How is that love? That's what we're supposed to see. John intends and Jesus intends for everybody who reads this to ask that about our own experience. Jesus loves them. Therefore, he does not heal them. He lets him die. Now, the answer is given, I think, in verse four. This illness does not lead to death. In other words, he's going to die, but that's not the point, disciples. What is the point? Well, the point is this. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And that's the key right there. That's the key. The point of his suffering and death is not death, not the suffering. The point of his suffering and death is to reveal the glory of God and particularly the glory of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So now you, you step back and you say, okay, the the so or the therefore at the beginning of verse six says that the meaning of the delay and the death is love. And verse four says that the meaning of the delay and the death is the glory of God. And, and so what would you do? How do you preach the sermon from here on? What do you draw out for your own life? Here's what I draw. The world doesn't understand what love really is. Now, what is love? One way to think of it is that love is doing what you need to do in order to reveal most fully and most durably the all-satisfying glory of God in Jesus. To be loved is to be shown glory. 
the glory of God. If we're not a God-centered people who see God himself and his son as our greatest treasure, the most beautiful reality, the most all-satisfying friend, experience, and father, better than all of our toys, better than all of our friends, our clubs, our activities, better than all of our houses, our bank accounts, our clean physical evaluation, better than all of those things, God is. We need to be a God-centered people. If we're not that way, then that definition of love makes no sense to us. If you go out and do an interview on the street down in Youngsville, any unbelieving person, and you ask them, what is love? They will not go to the definition that I just gave you. Clearly not at all. You get all kinds of wonky answers to that. All kinds of interesting answers out there to that question, what is love? <laughs> they would never say at all, to love is to have anything happen to me, life, death, sickness, anything that will show me more of God and his glory. Nobody's going to say that. And, and that's one reason why Christianity is so hard to believe in. Most of us are just not willing to accept this definition of love. If God is all to you, it's true. If God is minor or if God is marginal, if your life is your most important thing, if your kids are your most important thing, if your marriage is your most important, or your health, or your bank account, or your reputation, that love won't make any sense to you. But if God is all, and if God is beautiful, and if God is the supreme treasure of your life, then to have more of him and his glory in your life is to be loved. And that is the point of the so, beginning of verse six. So here's a definition of love I thought on based on this text. Love is doing whatever you have to do or whatever God has to do at whatever cost in order for the glory of God to be shown. Love is doing whatever you have to do or whatever God has to do at whatever cost in order for the glory of God to be shown. Love and the glory of God go together. <laughs> Look at verses 14 and 15. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. No more of this falling asleep, passed away, soft language. Lazarus has died. Lazarus is dead, guys. I'm just going to put it out there. He's dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Let us go to him. Now, this verse struck me like a lightning bolt. Lazarus is dead and you're glad? I just got to read what I wrote here, because if I don't, I'm going to go off track and I'll, I'll just lose myself. 
This is verse 14 is one of the few places Jesus is noted as being glad. And that word in the Greek can also be translated rejoicing. He's rejoicing. He's glad. Does he say this with a smile? I mean, he's glad. His friend who he loved is dead. And he's glad. Now, he knows what he's going to do. The disciples don't know any of this. And they're probably looking at him like, what is up, Jesus? <laughs> you're glad? You're, you're smiling? Like, you're happy about this? You're rejoicing about this? And not only this, we'll get to this more next week, but he's saying, let us go to him. That means he's going back to Judea where they just picked up stones to kill him. The disciples were probably actually pretty glad that he delayed thinking, oh, good, he's not going back there, because if he goes back there, we're dead. <clears throat> you read at the end where I said, Thomas said, let us also go and die with him. So they knew going back to see Lazarus, okay, that's a death sentence. We're all going to die if we go back there. It is dangerous there. So I can imagine they had a little bit of relief when Jesus delayed. Okay, he's not going back. Good, this, we'll just hang out here longer. And then he says, Lazarus is dead. I'm glad about it, and we're going back to it. Jesus is glad that Lazarus has died. So that, so that what? So that they and we sitting here reading this today might believe. Now, how does he, how does that relate to the glory of God being revealed? What's the counterpart between the glory of God being revealed and the human response of belief? There, there's just so many, many times that we take belief and just say, oh, believe. We don't even think about what believe really means. What does it mean to believe the glory of God revealed? It means to be satisfied with the glory of God. Most of us, we, we look to this world to be satisfied. We want to eat. We want to drink. We want things. We want relationships. We want family. We want, we want, we want the things of this world. And we're looking there and the text is pointing us to Jesus and to glory and to belief and faith to be satisfied. To be satisfied with the glory of God. So glory is revealed through Lazarus's death and being raised. The glory of God is revealed as a demonstration of love. Because to be loved is to see more of God, even through pain. And belief is re the receiving and the experience of that revelation of the glory of God as our treasure. The greatest treasure of our lives, even in the midst of suffering and pain. And isn't the gospel of John written for, for this? that we would believe John 20, 31, these things are written so that you may believe that by believing we might have life in his name. These things are written so that you may see the glory of the son of God, the glory of God revealed. We receive it through faith. And that faith is the experience of the glory of God as your supreme treasure in life which is better than life itself. And so 
God is glorified in suffering and death so that we may believe and be completely satisfied in Christ alone. When the winds and waves of life come and they blow the roof off the house, they blow <laughs> the house away, and they blow away your reputation and your halo and your self-righteousness and your pride, and everything is stripped away little by little, will you be satisfied in the glory of God and the love of Christ Jesus in your heart? Even when your mother and your father are taken away or your child this is what god is teaching us and oftentimes we just have to live it to fully understand it. and when you do live it and i say when you live it because it's coming some of us are in it right now some of us have been through it some of you it's coming when it when it's there you hold on tight to these verses to carry you through. And so we walk in suffering toward death, the satisfaction and the revelation of his glory. And that makes Jesus look good. When we walk in suffering toward death and have delight in him in it all, somehow, some way, you know, the best way I can describe it is like a joyful brokenness or a bright sadness or a sober happiness. There aren't very many words that you can combine to describe this type of feeling as you're walking through it. And so this is a very strange love, I admit that. You have to spend your whole life trying to get yourself right side up because we're born upside down. We're born with ourselves at the center. And this text is saying that this won't make sense if you stay at the center of your life. If you are your treasure, this will be insanity. If God is your treasure, this will make sense. You'll understand what love is because you'll understand glory. His glory at the center of your life. And so let this text, this strange love of Jesus, turn your world upside down, brothers and sisters. Love is not what the world thinks it is. It's not the removal of pain. It's not the removal of suffering. It's not the removal of death. You were made for the glory of God, not just the removal of pain. If you walk through life thinking that minimizing pain is the essence of love, the Bible will be a closed book to you. And it's not a closed book. This text is about revealing the glory of God, revealing it through a very strange kind of love. Namely, Jesus staying two days longer where he was and letting Lazarus suffer and die. The glory of God in Jesus is the only thing that can satisfy our souls. God knows this about you and he knows it about me. And he made you this way. 
The glory of God in Jesus is the only thing that can satisfy your soul. You were made for this. Therefore, if he must take away health for you to see that, if God takes away your husband or your wife for you to see that, if he takes away your child or your own life for you to see that, that is love. Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. He loved them. And therefore, he let Lazarus suffer and die so that they could see the glory of God. I know I'm repeating that, but we just need to understand it and hear it over and over again. So what about you today? What about you? Each one of us experiences suffering in our lives. And when you do, do you see it as an opportunity for God's glory? I almost hear God saying, you know, we stumble and we fall, we go through suffering. And it's like, oh, yes, here's an opportunity. We can work with this. What's, what's going to play? How's this going to go? Maybe he knows, but, you know, we can work with this. But in all of our sunshine, lollipops, and rainbow moments, oh, nothing's going to happen there. They're not, he's not going to cry out to me now. Can't really use that. Each one of us experiences our sufferings in our lives. And as we do, my hope is that we'll ask different questions. God, how are you using this for your glory? Show me your glory, God, in this. Show me your glory. I pray that we'll see suffering and even death through new eyes. And we'll take comfort in these words, brothers and sisters. And our faith in the Lord Jesus will be strengthened. And we'll feel his love in us and holding us, carrying us through that valley of deep darkness. All for his own glory.